Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Communicate Like You Give a Damn. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And I am with a really special guest today who I met on a webinar uh, where it was a whole bunch of entrepreneurs who are getting together and we're talking about how do we scale our businesses? How do we make sure that we're not burning out, that we are bringing on skilled talent that wants to do this work and set them up for success? Um, and you know, she introduced what she does and her work. And I immediately reached out to her and I said, Hey, can we connect? <laughs> so, hi, welcome to the show. I look forward to sharing, um, ev- you know, with everybody what you do and how you do it, why you do it. And we've, we've got a lot to talk about. So please introduce yourself. Yeah, so my name is Amalia Martino. I'm the founder and president of the Vita Agency. We are, operate just outside of Seattle in Washington State. And I'm so interested in how you started the Vita Agency. Um, like, how did you get there? What was your kind of path that got you to the yeah. point where you said, you know what, I need to start an agency and this is what we need to be doing? I mean, <laughs> one of those best laid plans, right? Like you just, I... I well, I'll tell you the story. Let's see. So I, I think I've always had uh, communications in my blood. I've always been a communicator. I've always been kind of the, like to play the devil's advocate. I grew up the only person of color in a majority white, all white, um, blue collar family in Seattle. Mm. So we had classism stuff going on. Um, and then I had a really unique experience compared to everyone else in my family, right? So lots of really honest conversations at the dinner table. My grandpa was very old school, conservative, blue collar, had really strong point of views. And, um, you know, I can remember, yeah, I can remember being really young and like those just didn't sit right with me or I'd argue with him on something, right? And, um. Seattle has its own interesting relationship with race. And um, it's probably unlike any other place, especially if you're, you know, somewhere like New York or California, we just are different up here in the Northwest. So, you know, I grew up in a time of, they integrated the schools by busing. So I, because I was a person of color, I, you know, bust, I don't even know. 30 minutes to another school, majority white school. So that meant I was really going to school with people who were classes above me, right? Like economic classes. Um, And we have a lot of broad economics situations, I would say in Seattle, you know, so I'm going to school at some point with like, you know, Bill Gates went to Lakeside High School, right? I went there for a summer thing. So it's like these very, big divisions. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And a lot of conversations always about affirmative action and, you know, I don't think anybody in my family ever really said it to me directly, but I felt very much like my achievements and my accomplishments kind of had an asterisk next to them because mm -hmm. I was had some special program or something was handed to me, right? So I've always had this in my blood of seeing um, things from other sides, but also being able to talk about it. And I think that's kind of where I can straddle. I was like this place where I can straddle and have these conversations on both sides and really understand, you know, these are the people I love and they're talking about them in a way that makes me uncomfortable because I am them, but not in their eyes. It's, it's a very interesting space to be in. So I have been in communications for my whole career. I uh, worked, you know, started just after college and, um, in California, I worked for Kaiser Permanente for their Institute for Health Policy in a communications role. Um, I did that for a while. I had a daughter. I was a single mom. I decided to move back to Seattle because I do have a big family here. Um, and I wanted to freelance because we moved to the suburbs of Seattle and I wanted to be able to have that freedom that I didn't experience as a kid being able to walk my daughter to school down the street instead of her having to bus, you know, to another neighborhood. So I freelanced for a long time. Um, it was a moment of just, I valued time over money. We had very little money, but we, I had, a, I really valued my time. I started an agency at one point with a partner that just fell on its face. It was one of those mm -hmm. many failures that you have. Mm -hmm. And when my daughter became got her driver's permit um i was like there is light at the end of the tunnel i'm going to like have so much time when she can drive herself to soccer practice god knows where you know i'm just gonna have so much time so that was a moment where i said okay we're gonna try this for real let's start something where i can start it and i can own it and we can just like throw our hat in the ring and see what we can do and the first few years was trying to convince everybody on that client list or potential client list that multicultural communications was a good idea, that listening and talking to other people was a really good idea and it was worth the investment. And, you know, running ROI numbers and running demographic numbers and running purchasing powers and all the reasons that are like antithesis to me of like why you should do this, but you had to make a business case for it. And then the summer of 2020, George Floyd's murder and Everybody wanted what we were selling, but they had no idea really how to buy it. They had no idea how to operate in it. And our agency just went, you know, or talk about scaling. Like the growth was astronomical from in my perspective. We went from about eight employees to 20 some employees in about a year and a half, which is a lot. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. substantial. <laughs> that's so yeah. A couple of things you said straddling. And mm -hmm. so here's a blog headline or a blog title for you, straddling in Seattle. It just seems oh, like you. you're a communicator. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Instead of sleepless in Seattle, it's straddling. Yeah, there you go. Um, I spent some childhood time in Spokane, Yakima. Mm -hmm. I was born mm -hmm. in Portland. I do consider okay. myself a Northwest girl. Mm -hmm. And I, I have an inkling of what you're referring to, you know, and especially with what's going on in Idaho, you know, yeah. and the eastern part of Washington, the eastern part of Oregon, that whole 
that whole scene right there is quite concerning. Yeah. Um, let's jump to what you just were referring to is the summer of 2020. Seattle was very much in the news about its response to demonstrations, et cetera. So what was that experience for you and what were you seeing that we, that should be learnings for us on from an organizational and a government or a city, you know, uh, standpoint that we need to learn from uh, as we are recording right now in November of 2023, where the world has gone back out onto the streets. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because where the CHOP or CHAZ was on Capitol Hill, the, the autonomous zone during, that was literally on like my childhood soccer field. Like that is where I, I mean, it was so visceral to me. Like I used to take the public bus there after school, you know, that was like my hangout, right? Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of family and I have my husband's family is from Spokane. They're from pockets of Washington. And they're, you know, having conversations with them at the time about what was going on. Like, what is going on? Like, it's just so scary. But then, you know, I have, I know people who are there like drawing murals and I know media who are there covering it. And it was just such an extreme moment. Like whatever you wanted to see, whatever point of view you wanted to consume, you could just consume just that, right? On your phone or on your computer at home. Um, and it, 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 it really pushed me to like, we gotta have, we gotta have some really honest conversations here. I grew up in that, you know, no politics or religion at the dinner yeah. table. And I was like, this is not gonna serve us well moving forward. Um, you know, the administration in Seattle really went one far way. And then, especially when it came to like, COVID relief and, you know, or which, which to me, it's so interesting. Now I, I'll talk to people and they'll just talk about COVID, you know, 2020, just COVID. And I'm like, there was this whole other thing happening. Like, right. how did this all get wrapped up into just COVID? Did we forget that that happened and the racial, social, economic impacts that yes, why COVID response was some ways in some parts of the country and not in other parts of the country. It's it's really funny how, I mean, we're not that far out from it, but how your brain can just connect these two things together. And the narrative has spun so tightly that now they're, it's like one thing almost didn't exist. The amnesia. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so frustrating, especially yeah. as a communicator, because you can see it happening. You can see the narrative start, right? And you can see people consuming and then it just grows and it's like, Oh boy, here we go. We're going to have to have some tough convos. I don't know mm-hmm. if I actually answered your question. Well, well, you made a really interesting point of I had the role of no religion and politics at the dinner table, especially extended family like for US Thanksgiving, etc. Uh-huh. And then I go, well, no wonder we're so inept in having conversations because we weren't given the opportunity to learn the skills. And we, so we get into the workplace, especially post summer of 2020, where Mm. people want to talk about it, but everyone, you know, you got some part of the employee population saying, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I'm super curious. And then the other side, you know, and then other portions of the employee population saying, we have to talk about this. Yes. You're going to make mistakes. We have to talk about this, but 
in the workplace, especially in leadership situations mm -hmm. who did not get to be leaders because they're awesome at DEI. <laughs> so we yeah. either have no role models or terrible role models. Mm. So that is something that your agency is trying to shift, you know, around that trajectory and, and increasing our skill sets to have these conversations right. in productive, constructive ways and produce these role models and setting a, a, a safe space within culture in order to be able to go through this time yeah. together. So talk to us about the agency and how you are, what your approach is with your clients. Yeah. So we, you know, we consider ourselves a full service, multicultural communications and social impact marketing company, right? So we provide a full suite from research to creative direction, creative development to community engagement to media services, kind of a whole suite. And we like to combine all of those in order to deliver for our clients. So our superpower is really helping clients connect with communities that they have a hard time connecting with or that there has been past harm done and therefore there needs to be some repair before you can connect, right? So mm -hmm. most of our clients are in the public sphere. So we're talking city, county, municipalities, right? Federal government stuff. So, you know, I can make the case all day long that if you are spending dollars, public dollars on communications, on programs, on specific things that it needs to be done in a multicultural way because you need to for, you know, because it's public dollars. And it needs to be spent equitably and we need to put it back in the communities, especially the ones that have really been through the ringer, right? Historically, way historically, and even more recently, and even things that we, you know, know aren't equal today. So we help do that. And sometimes it is facilitating conversations. Sometimes it's, you know, that's great. You're going to put that in English, but really this community doesn't all speak English, right? Here are the other language needs. So let's talk about that. And we like to help clients think about that from the beginning. We great. don't like to think about multicultural as an add-on. It's not yes. an add-on. It will yes. never be yes. successful as an add-on um, because you're already making a value judgment there, right? Okay. I always use this analogy of like, you know, you know, if someone's having a party and everybody gets the fancy invites in the mail, and if you get the text message the night before, like, oh, hope you can come to my party. You One, you're probably not going, right? <laughs> because you have something else to do. But also like, why did everybody else get a fancy invite? And I got the text message that you're already having some kind of feeling. So you're not showing up. It just doesn't work, right? So we, we have to be really intentional. Um, and that goes back to like, what are your values as an as an agent, like a public agency or, or what are our clients values and how are we showing that we live up to them, not just on paper by checking a box, but by actually doing the work that's going to move something forward. And sometimes we're the right people to help move an entire thing forward if it's a communications element. And sometimes, you know, we do it in partnerships with um, other you know, maybe it's a technical engineering firm if we're talking about displacing some kind of community or, you know, putting in some kind of, 
benefit for the community. You know, it's voted as a benefit. Do they see it as a benefit? Let's talk to them. Let's let's hear what would actually be beneficial to them. How about um, that? Yeah, and that takes, you know, that takes more time and probably a little more money because you're not just talking to, you're not just preaching the choir, you're not just talking to the same people. So we've come from like this full circle of like having to convince people it's the right thing to do to now, okay, we all want to do it right now, but the community is only so big. So if you have the transportation company, the gas company, the light company, right? And the utility company all wanting to talk to the same community at the same time, you're gonna get a lot of burnout. So that's another thing that we've learned to manage and plan for and help guide our clients through in the last few years. I appreciate the example of the text message with the party <laughs> invite because, you know, what is it over 80% of professional communicators in a house look like me and mm. We'll look at that example and say, but I did invite them. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like, but, but look at how you did and that they were an afterthought. They weren't and designed either way, from the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. And no matter which side of that text message you're on, you know how that feels. If you're the one sending it, you're like, oh, shit, I forgot to invite Kim. Right? And if you're the one receiving it, you're like, Oh, they forgot me. I must not be that important. They don't really want me there anyway. Right. Yeah. We all know how that feels. And then we justify it, but say, but I invited them. They didn't right. come. <laughs> right. So that's right. where we have to do the self-introspection of just like redesigning what our communications look like in mm -hmm. order to get to that outcome. Um, before I, I move further into the conversation, I want to back up a little bit. What, what caused you to go more of the government route with this work versus all the tech companies and other kind yeah. of health institutions, the industry that's in the Seattle area? You know, it's really, I mean, I, I told you I grew up here, but I don't really, I would not at the time in 2017 have an idea of even how to penetrate those companies or that market. Like that is just seems so far from me. It was, you know, the people that were working at Amazon weren't people I knew. They weren't people from here. They're people coming in from other places. Right. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft just seems so big. And I just I just didn't know. But for government, I felt like that was really easy for me to make a case of this is mm -hmm. why you should. Um, I also, you know, I remember taking a, a marketing class in college and I didn't I didn't major in marketing because I was told turned off by this class, which was like, you figure out who people are, where they are, what their pain points are, like what sucks about their lives. And then you sell them a product based on, yes. you know, whether it's, whether yes. it's true or not. And I was like, that's, I don't want to do yeah. that. Right. So yeah. I didn't know really how to bridge that in a, in a private corporation, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I could see the social good and I could see, um, the business case, I guess, for, for public sector. Yeah. And yeah. there was a playbook of how to do it. Right. Like, I don't know, Microsoft bros at that time. Right. But, but I could look up, you know, procurements for public agencies and it tells me how I could write a proposal and how they're going to score it. And, and, 
you know, I, I could I could see it and I could think about which partners or people I knew I wanted to bring along in the work with me. I had a similar experience in college with the marketing stuff. I, yeah. was, I was an advertising major at first. That was my first uh-huh. major. And then the exact same kind of lesson. And I said, I can't do this. I don't want yeah. to do this. And so it was a very circuitous way that I ended up in communications because that was through first radio and then documentary filmmaking <laughs> and then oh, wow. communications. And then it was like, but eventually I got to where I am. So, you know, if I'm going to sell anything, it's selling people on each other and remembering who we are and what we're about and having our work matter and, and our work matter in the workplace. And Mm. there's so much to it, but you know, so if there's any product or service that I'm going to sell, it's not on something that you don't need. It's on something that you desperately need um, and just may not know how to connect to it. Uh, And I want to be a part of creating that conduit and that, that invitation. Um, So you just recently launched something that sounds really cool that you, you're, you're very amped about, which is. I am. I'm so excited. If you could describe it, but then talk about like the thought process that got you here. Like, what are you trying to solve for with this service? Yeah. Yeah. So we recently launched Shatter and Forge. It's our community engagement model. Um, I really want other people to copy us. I mean, that's really what I want to change. So, you know, we talked about already the demand that communities faced, especially from public agencies after the summer of 2020. Everybody wanted their time and their input and they wanted to show that they were committed to equity and diversity and and they're gonna, you know, and they wanted all to do it right now. They want us to teach them how to do it. And our community partners were saying, oh my God, like there's no way. First of all, we're still in this moment. Like we don't have even the emotional or brain with to talk about a bus stop that might be in my community in five years, right? Like I just don't, we're, we're in the right now and we're in this crisis and we, what, right? So, but then what we saw was, you know, politics change and, and taste change. You kind of see a little bit of like, well, we want to do that. Our values are still there, but we're going to, you know, maybe pull a little bit of the budget back. So I, I started thinking about, how can I make equity not an aside for engagement, but like a through line? And how can I build it programmatically so that our clients don't have to think about it? They just know that's what they're getting. And it's something that can sustain. It's not something that is just going to be on the whims of whatever is going on in places I can't control. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's a model that has three legs to it. So we started an equity advisory board just for us. So we have five members of the community. They serve for a year. They're compensated for being on the board. They help keep us accountable. They help inform our leadership about, you know, maybe some standard operating procedures that are becoming more harmful to the community, right? We also decided that we were gonna bring in what we call networkers on projects. So it's not just us, TBA, walking into a community saying, we know everything. We're here to hear from you or talk to you. It's from a project to project basis. Let's make sure we have some community networkers on the project that are going to help guide through the community. They know the community, what they might be 
like leaders in the community. They might be a community-based organization, but they're an extension of our project team. And it's another way that we can, you know, invest back into the community. So we're not asking them to do work for free. They're being compensated like they're part of our team. So that's a new way that we're approaching the work. So it's not just consultants walking into the room, it's consultants plus, you know, community organizations that really know the community. And then the third piece is our contributors. So those are maybe one-off people who want to have an opinion about things that are going on in their communities, don't really have a lot of time, they like convenience. So we started a program where they can sign up and we'll send out opportunities when they arise and they will, are paid per engagement. So it might be like a survey or a focus group or you wanna to talk to us about something. So we're just building a roster, like those three pillars and those three levels of engagement is a way that I can ensure that our work has equity regardless of the project and that the client can ensure, and they we don't have to piecemeal or say, you know, um, nickel and dime community members or nickel and dime equity. It's just built in. Ah, that is so good. That is so creative. <laughs> Congratulations. I really, really, I'm so excited about it because you know, we met about scaling. So mm -hmm. we're in Seattle we're, and we're, we work across Washington State. We have relationships here, but because we're so relationship driven and community centered, I was having a hard time thinking, how do I even take this anywhere else? Because I don't have those relationships and I want to center community in all of our work, right? You know, those networkers or those contributors help us co-create messaging, co-create mm -hmm. strategy, co-create, you know, right. we don't want to work in a vacuum. So this is something that, that can be scalable and, and we have the same process that we know we can take it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a very relational framework. I love it. It's got some Thank Native you. American contingency there, you know, That's uh, right. community base. Yeah. Love it. Love mm -hmm. it. Um, and it also reminds me of how you were talking, we're going to make sure that everyone gets paid. Like if you're going to be a part of this oh, project yeah. or whatever, you know, so equity is, is a tangible thing. And, you know, I was just, while you were sharing that, I was realizing that most of the, so when I talk to clients who are people of color, they, they make sure to say, Hey, can I compensate for your time? Can I, you know, I want to make sure you get paid for this conference or, you know, some sort of reciprocity. Yes. When I, when I'm talking to people who look like me, that often does not come up. No, there's this kind of expectation of, I get this stuff for free. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I've noticed that mm -hmm. <laughs> over the years doing this work, the differentiation of that. And so how I've been able to, you know, I, to, to move that forward to say that anybody that I'm working with is just like, you know, everybody gets something out of it. So there isn't this sense of entitlement of I, I have, you know, I'm entitled to get a free consultation from you and then I can go off and, and just do whatever I want with it. Um, but this idea yeah. of, of compensating people consistently, like that being a principle of how you work, whether it's vendors, contractors, community relationships, as you talked about, as well as employees. Yeah, I think in the business world, like, 
you know, people understand the value of consultants, right? Like you would pay a consultant X amount of hours because they're an expert in whatever it is. Um, we really see our community partnerships as consultants to us and to projects. So we pay them a consultant wage. Um, it was, it would just went against everything in my being to be like, we, uh, you know, client Z wants access to, or needs to repair or needs to communicate with this community that's been a challenge for us. And we don't ask for that access for free, right? That means there's a lot of learning that needs to happen. And it's not gonna be me teaching you. I mean, I don't, I don't know everything about every community, right? Like I know enough to walk in the room and say, I don't know enough, right? Like, and that's what we hope to bring our clients along. And so those community members, those networkers on our projects are really uh, an extension of the consultant team. You know, you were talking about repair and your primary clients are government. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the way some laws in some states and, and constituents, you know, areas uh, are going, there's a recreation or a continuation of harm yeah. through government bodies on the very communities that you're trying to, that some of your clients are like wanting to pull in and, mm -hmm. and they, they may or may not recognize the level of distrust that trust that's yeah. been broken treaties that have been broken promises yeah. that have been broken by government entities at the level that you and your consultant network um, and community organization network does understand. And I think that really got highlighted during COVID around vaccination access and, and, yeah. and uh, education around that. Um, so let's dive a little bit deeper into what multicultural communication is. And if you can give us kind of a, a definition and maybe an example of the difference between how you would approach communication from that standpoint of repair or, you know, not being performative just to get something out of a community. Right. Yeah. I mean, we try our best. Being extractive <laughs> community is like against everything that we are. But, you know, I don't know if I know the like the official definition of multicultural marketing, but to me it is we're going to start from the beginning and we are going to define through our discovery work and our strategy work, who are we trying to reach with whatever piece of communication and why? And then we are going to make sure that we have enough resources and time to build out thoughtful strategies for those communities. Right? So sometimes our projects are in, I don't know, eight languages, you know, or, or sometimes they're in 11 languages. So it's not like a, 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 a 8x, right? It's not like, here's how much you do in English, and then we're going to times eight and you would do an eight. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> right? Like, we have Spanish speakers on staff, and we have, so if we're doing something in English and Spanish, we have community members that we can work with. We, we really think about co-creating things with communities. Mm -hmm. So we did, a few years ago, we did a project for um, the city um, health and human services. So the, the city had put a, a tax on sweetened beverage in the city of Seattle to curb consumption, right? Mm -hmm. um, it didn't curb consumption, shocking. It made the city a lot of money off of this tax. Um, and most of the money was coming from uh, 
black and brown communities and black and brown youth in particular. Mm -hmm. So it was a behavior change campaign. They wanted to know why and how can we stop, you know, how can we encourage them to drink other things? And, and they had tasked us with coming to the interview with this, you know, come and tell us what you would do. What's your strategy and what's your campaign going to look like? And we, we took a, a risk, but it was the right risk, which was like, we don't know. I know that I am brown, but I don't speak for all black and brown youth, right? Like, I don't know until I ask them what's going on and what's contributing to these choices and what would their preferred alternative be and what are the barriers that they see in their community, right? Like, so I don't, my answer is I don't know. And luckily they trusted us to do the work. We, we won that project and we went out and we, the first thing we did was had four community partners that already worked with black and brown youth to be our partners in the work so that we could spend the first few months just talking to them, listening to them. We had a huge focus group with about 50, this was before, right before COVID, about 50 youth, right? And we went through like, what do you drink? Why do you drink it? And then we even had like an educational piece about sugar and like how it used to be a commodity that was built on, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I we like to bring in the educational piece. We like to bring in the partners who already know the communities and that the communities trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we like to show up being the dumbest people in the room. Honestly, like that mm-hmm. is, if you're going to do multicultural communications, you know, nothing always, you know, nothing. Right. Um, so that's what we did. And then we had these youth sign up. Some of them signed up to co-create the campaigns with us. So we did a survey. We called it the sweet survey. We got some data points. We realized that we asked them, what would your preferred alternative be? And they said water. And if you had asked me months before to design a campaign, it would not have been a water focused campaign. I had no idea. Right. Okay. Why don't you drink water? Well, it's more expensive at the store than the soda. The bottle of water is more expensive than the can of soda. Um, I don't have, we don't have water fountains. Some of our, the schools that they went to didn't have clean drinking water, didn't have, I mean, I just, you know, so the campaign morphed into a water focused campaign. It wasn't, and then it was like, well, what should the message be? Well, the message shouldn't be, Sugar makes you fat, so don't drink it. Like, don't fat shame me. Don't do any of that shaming stuff. Right, like, right. but if you're gonna have me do water, like, don't show water. Why are all the water commercials like in a spring in the mountains? Like, right. I don't live in a spring in the mountains. So make it like, okay. So like we did this campaign. Commercials where frolicking right. through dandelion oh, fields. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's not what it's like, folks. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was like, and I, I want a water bottle. So I can fill it up, but I also want water stations in my school. So it, you know, it ended up with us working with other departments in the city of Seattle to get water fountains installed in the schools there. We, we did stick, we did stickers and water bottles and we did a whole. That is uh, so cool. Oh my gosh. And like 10 youth. Think, I mean, this was during COVID at this point, you know, they're already taking online schools. They, they signed up to like help us, you know, they had drawings and they drew some of the stickers that we used and they, they really helped us think through the campaign and told us where we should put it. And, you know, 
Um, it was really great. It was a really great co-created campaign. And that's, I would love to, for every single project to be that way. Oh, that's so cool. Because, you know, that also ties into the equity around access, the access totally. to water, access to drinkable yes. water. And yes. then having that individuality, that creativity, like my daughter is so into water bottle stickers. Right. Like, like I asked her like, okay, put together, you know, we celebrate Christmas. So like, what's your, what's your, you know, Christmas list. And she still puts on, and this is like years running now, water bottle stickers. And I'm like, well, I have to get you a new water bottle because it's like yeah. covered in stickers, you know, with yeah. hot dogs on skateboards. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah, no, it was great. And I think that's where, you know, we're communications, but really we we're here to, to use our projects to do good in community, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if bringing on that CBO really helps them meet some kind of fundraising goal and they're involved in this project in the community, we're learning from them just as they're learning from us, right? You know, if you're a CBO working with the city, doing grants and all that stuff, like we'll take that administrative burden off them. We'll, we'll do the administrative piece so they can just focus on doing the work if that's what they want to do. And, you know, we're not, if we hear there's a need in the community, we're not just going to do a pretty campaign. It's like, what's the deal with the water stations? It, you know, it was, I mean, you know, it was historically the oldest high, it was the only high school in the Seattle school district that hadn't been redone. It was the only like historically black high school. They're actually now rebuilding it, but it took a fight to have it. They had no drinking water or hot water to wash your hands. It's just crazy. And that that is another example of the divide you were talking about, the, the, oh, yeah. the gap, the economic gap that you see within yeah. that area. Absolutely. Oh, man. And the, and the other point that you made of, you know, going in and saying, we don't know why, is like, yes. I think that is really core for us as communicators to hear because, you know, part of my, my life and my day is spent as an academic teaching at a university and anything that we put together is research-based starting with a hypothesis, which is a euphemism right. for bring in your bias and confirm your bias as much yes. as you can, you know, or, you know, how to try to mitigate your bias based on the hypothesis that you're bringing into it. If you don't right. go in with that kind of sense, that can help you as a communicator with what I teach my clients called majority coding. So mm. C-O-D-I-N-G, coding, not coding like you wear a coat. Um, uh -huh. so, <laughs> so majority coding is that idea of coming at it from a dominant lens and mm -hmm. expecting or assuming or not even having it on your radar that everyone agrees with you or is having the same right. experience. And multicultural communication coming from the network that you've set up and the strategy and the approaches that you put in place with your clients just dismantles all of that. And it allows that voice and experience to actually come forward where there's genuine, meaningful change to the point of bringing water stations with drinkable water. So you've provided the access because communications led to that visibility and that visibility yeah. has led to accountability. And now look at all of the people, all of the youth that are benefiting from that effort. Amazing yeah. work. Amazing work. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, that is, that is a superpower. And, and in any communication, but especially in multicultural communication, 
you have to show up just, you know, you got to leave it all at the door. Show up and ask the questions and listen. And I think that's been sometimes a, a challenge, especially, you know, working with communicators, in-house communicators that might mm -hmm. be our clients, right? They want to do this work. Sometimes they're scared to do the work because they don't mm -hmm. want to mess it up, right? Which I totally get. Yep. Um, or sometimes, you know, there's a, they need to show and prove that it was effective or they need. So it's really like, we're also working like, okay, what are the KPIs? What are we, what are we going to achieve? And let's be really clear that like, sometimes those KPIs that you're looking for, for traditional, you're not going to have, mm -hmm. that's not going to be, that's not going to apply here. Right. So what are the other KPIs that we can, we can look at? We're always also, you know, talking about sustainability, tracking those like qualitative, quantitative, like the mix of it. It can't just be all data driven because we're talking human beings, right? right. So right. When we're not all data points. So let's <laughs> make sure we're mixing this up a little bit to how we're talking about and reporting on the work that we're doing. Love it. Love it. Love it. So to you, what does it mean mm -hmm. to all this said and all of the work that you've done and moving forward, what does it look like to communicate like we give a damn? I think it's intentionality. I mean, I think it's not having a dinner table that excludes religion <laughs> and politics, right? I think it's like anything's open. Let's talk about it. You have to be open to the conversation. And then you also you know, there's moments where we wish we had picked different words to use, but to know that we're all humans with emotions and, you know, let's just, the more conversations we have, the less heated mm -hmm. I think it can be. Mm -hmm. So communicate like you give a damn, like just open up the communication channels and have the tough conversations. Otherwise they're happening other anyway, they're just happening behind closed doors or behind screens. And it's not as productive. Or they come out sideways and because we're not having the healthy, constructive conversations, but yet there's this human desire to connect, but mm -hmm. we don't have the tools because we haven't had the practice. We haven't allowed ourselves to be imperfect as we yeah. learn how to communicate about these. Yeah. It's like issues. any other muscle, right? Yeah. 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 How can people follow you, learn more, get into understanding more about Shatter and Forge and all the work that you're doing, mm -hmm. follow your case studies, et cetera? Yeah. So our website's a great resource. It's thevidaagency.com, V-I-D-A, like life in Spanish. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Amalia Martino on LinkedIn. Um, just all the usual places online. Um, yeah, look us up, follow us, subscribe. <laughs> all the Shatter and Forge stuff is on our, our website too. Ah, y'all have to follow her and follow their work. I mean, they are truly a model that we can benefit in their experience. They can help us uh, prevent some mistakes. Mm. They are taking, the, you are taking the lead, Amalia, on, on how yeah. to do multicultural communication in a very effective and meaningful way. And with the ability to scale in a very short amount of time and sustain oh, the work. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, thank, you know, I am a lifelong learner. I walk into many rooms saying, I don't know anything. Like, so I would love to hear from people. I would love to hear feedback or whatever. Connect with me. Wonderful. 
thank you for being a part of Communicate Like You Give a Damn. Really appreciate that you were here. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.